Beatport presents. Beatport presents. Beatport presents. Beatport presents. Decoding the music industry. Welcome, everybody. Almost a full house. What's wrong with these seats? They're not. These, there's something wrong with these seats, Sophia. Um, so, uh, yes, welcome to the second uh, instalment of Decoding the Music Industry, the brainchild of our very own Sophia, Chief Community Officer. Hello, Sophia. Don't hide behind your hands. It's not how it works. Uh, welcome, welcome. Uh, thank you for that. And also, I'm just going to point out Rick over there, our sound man. He's not really a sound man, but he does love cables and sliders on a desk. So we let him do it. Um, so this is the second one of three. Um, and this one is titled The Shifting Landscape of Releasing Music. So what we're trying to do is have a representative from two of the main ways with which music makes it out into the world. We've got uh, a label and a self-released uh, solution. Um, but we've also got an artist. So uh, I'm just going to introduce myself real quick. Uh, my name is Alex Branson. I am the Senior Vice President of Music Services. Yes, they added the senior for a very good reason. I hate them all. Uh, and uh, what I do is I sit between the producer group and the DJ groups at the port. And so the reason why I'm doing this panel is because some of what I do is related to releasing music. Uh, so, Kitty, hello, welcome. Uh, so, uh, Artist, Kitty and Moore, DJ Hello. for a few years. Should we go with a few years? One or two years. Um, and, but a most decade. Of, no, they didn't need to know that. It's more a few years. Uh, but also recently now a recording artist. Um, so she's going to give a perspe uh, perspective from a recording artist side. We've got Titus Moore hey in guys. the house uh, representing the label. So he's come a very, very long way from upstairs. Uh, so we have Empire Records or Empire Music really uh, above us in the building here. Um, and I'm just going to point out that he took the lift down one flight. Uh, so well done, Titus. Uh, and Sarah, you are uh, flying the flag Hello. for self-released uh, solutions in the marketplace. Uh, and you work for TuneCore. Uh, looking after the UK business for them. Yes, I look after uh, UK, Canada and Australia for them. Very, very good. Um, so what we're going to try and do is take you on a little bit of a journey. Uh, so sort of trying to follow the life cycle of music. So we're going to follow a little bit of a process. Uh, this, you know, this whole series is about decoding the music industry. So it's going to be, uh, you know, fairly sort of uh, explainer a little bit. You're going to get to know the panelists as they talk, because really it's about what they do. That's why we're here. So we're going to start by the, that, that moment of you've made the track. But like, what's next? So Beatport, just very quickly, a little bit of a plug. Uh, we uh, bought a company called Label Radar. So that helps artists uh, get to know record labels so they can send the music to record labels. That's one way of doing it. Um, we also have a business called AmpSuite that allows you to run your own record company and do things like distribution. But Sarah, I, I would say arguably TuneCore uh, has defined the self-released solution. So when somebody... Google searches, other search engines are available, uh, and they find TuneCore. What, what happens when they land on that page? Why is it you think that they go, yes, this is the home for me, and what do they get when they sign up? So what you've probably Googled is you've probably Googled, uh, how do I get my music on Spotify? Because that is the 
the major way that people end up at TuneCore and uh, other self-releasing distributors are available. I wouldn't recommend them. Um, and yes, so you've probably Googled that. How do I release my music? Any of those kind of things. You come to the TuneCore page um, and it now says to you, because we changed our pricing model last year, um, it basically says that there are four different ways of getting your music out through TuneCore. Um you can get it out onto social platforms for free. You can decide to just get it into the libraries of Instagram, Facebook, all of the usuals. Um, or you can actually start to get your music out onto DSPs properly. Um, three different pricing levels. And, you know, at that point you might think, oh my God, what do I want to do? My advice to anyone at that stage is think about where you are now and think about where you're aiming to go. Um because the whole world of self-releasing, releasing in general, can be absolutely filled with, you know, bamboozling terms and, and you know, so many elements to think about. But, you know, I would say advice, be honest with yourself. Are you doing this because, you know, you've made some music and you just want to get it out there and you want to see it on Spotify and other DSPs because, you know, that would be great just to have my music out there. Or do you want to, are you looking to make a career out of this? In which case, you know, you need, you basically need to know yourself quite well, I think, at that stage. We are going to come on to some of those expectations uh, in just a second. So Titus, you're representing uh, a record company. Uh, if you like, or a music company, really. Gazi would hate me for calling it a record company on its own. Um, what what is it that Empire offers? Like, what what is it that you kind of put out there in the in the uh, in the world? Um, Empire was traditionally a distribution service, and then as time's gone on, it's evolved into a lot more than that in terms of providing a label service. Um, with reps all around the world now, based in San Francisco, LA, Lagos, South Africa. London. Um, so yeah, initially started as a distribution service and it's evolved into a lot more than that now. Very good. And Kitty, you're kind of new to this whole being a producer. Um, what was your journey like getting to it? Cause your story is actually fairly unique, isn't it? Yeah, I think my journey is quite relatable to a lot of people in music in terms of you see yourself playing the music, you buy into that, but you also want to be a part of it in terms of its creation form. And in creating was like, well, where do I start? And how do I start? And how do I deliver it to the rest of the world? Um, yes, you could spend all your time in the studio, which is a bedroom at the time, uh, creating, creating, but then you want to deliver and deliver well in the way that you see your peers doing it. So it was... Uh, I'm not ready to do that right now because I don't know where that starting point is. Let me watch my peers doing it and those that I look up to, but also understand the business a bit more and actually ask myself, is that something I'm willing to commit to at the same time as carving a DJ career? Because I think a lot of people think the two just come hand in hand, but don't realise the commitment that which you're delivering to both the brain can only take so much. Um, so yeah, how do you create, but also read books on the music business and its friends and the 15th version of it as well? <laughs> <laughs> Is that the, uh, uh, every, everything you need to know about the music industry by uh, Donald S. Passman? Yep, that was my, one of my textbooks at university. Um, so you sort of answered my next question. Uh, so well done. Uh, can you see my notes? Uh, did you have different expectations before you were a recording artist? Um, to the ones that you kind of now understand now as having done it? Yes and no. Um, I guess the expectations I had 
before was what does the numbers look like and what does that actually make sense to me? Like, yes, everyone's like, oh, I've got a million streams. Okay, cool. But then you also can't buy a pizza with what you've earned from your million streams. So does that actually make, mean anything to me? Or is it me thinking more about the products and the message that I'm delivering through my music? Um, and when I say the message, it's beyond just the sound of the music. It is the message you deliver through the labels you work with. Uh, what is the label's ethos? What is their strap line of their their actual label services itself uh do i actually see myself being diversified in that label as well so how many people of color do you have there how many women do you have there as well um was really important to me so as i've now got into the space that i'm in i can say that i've done myself a service by pumping the brakes a little bit understand and watch what's happening before my time so that i'm going in in a way that's more authentic to myself uh, wow. Okay. That's a very mature way Sorry. of approaching your career. That's fantastic. Um, and so Sarah, you started to uh, touch a little bit on the expectations. Obviously with TuneCore, there is a sort of uh, potential tendency to f have customers arrive at your doorstep and think, great, I can upload my music to Spotify because that's what they Google searched as we established earlier. Um, and is their next expectation that they will be at an award show sitting next to Ed Sheeran getting their, their, getting their gong? Is that, how do you manage that expectation? Yeah, no, it's a good point. And I, you know, I've, I've worked across all kinds of, you know, different elements of the music industry. I've worked at, you know, independence, majors, distributors, artist services, all sorts. And I always say to people, you know, if you've just got signed or you've just uploaded your music or anything like that, you're at the beginning of the journey. You know, the work starts now. Um, which is even more the case with something like TuneCore because, you know, we are, whilst we're a platform that allows you to develop your music, um, you know, a lot of the responsibility of being truly independent is on you. Um, it takes a lot of research. It takes a lot of managing expectations like you were talking about, Kitty. And, um, and you know, a lot of being, uh, having very honest talks with yourself, I think. So, you know, we've got artists of all sizes from someone that's going to get zero streams to, you know, to someone who's got very established um, catalogue, to established labels, to all sorts, you know, and I think there's still a lot of hard work to do once you've had your distribution done. I also think that Jinko does a really good job of FAQs and help documents and, and being out in the industry and, and helping to educate people. So it's uh, very good. And so Titus Empire, um, so if you uh, didn't say before, uh, I used to work with Titus Empire, so I know it uh, reasonably well. Um, they, you have a, a range of different ways with which you can engage with people. You have the kind of like the, the baseline distribution business. And then as a, as a record company, you have lots of different deal types, sort of baby deal, mid-size and, and, and big to sort of simplify it. But I guess from the outside, people just look at that and just go, I'm signed to Empire. How, how do you, have you found the good ways of trying to manage the expectation as you bring these artists into the company? That's a good question. Um, I think, I think, yeah, like you said, I think having the one, one of the good things about Empire is the flexibility in the deal structures because it allows, it allows different stages of artists to still be involved with the label without um, feeling the weight of a huge marketing budget or um, an advance. So like, as Alex was saying, you have the basic distribution, which is normally industry standards, like 80, 20, 80 split um, for the artist and 20% on the label side, just to distribute. And then, but alongside that, depending where the artist is at in their journey, but depending on their team um, with the A&R or the, 
product manager involved, looking at the artist team and then maybe structuring a deal based on that where it's it's a distribution deal, but maybe it's with a, maybe it's a small amount of money as well just to get the ball rolling on whether it's the digital side or elsewhere. Um, so th th you, people don't really talk about, those aren't known as like industry standards, but you could call it distribution plus. You could... Um, you could do deals without advances to make sure the artist just has a marketing budget. Um, so there's all different flexible types of deals. And I think um, that's been key in allowing Empire to not just work, work in the UK or in the US, but also expand into different territories as well, because there's so many different artists at different stages of their careers looking for different things and also different teams as well. Um, going back to like artist expectations, I think also having a good team around you that can walk you through the process, especially if you're trying to stay independent for as long as possible, you really need a good team who can take you on that journey and understand how to actually build a business um, from zero. Yeah. Uh, that's a, an amazing ending uh, phrase because that's a great segue into my next question to Kitty. So thank you, Titus. Well done. Well played. Mm -hmm. um, you're working with Defected now. What, what is it that you like working with them and is it just the recording artist side of things that you do with them or are there other things that you work with effectively i would say is that 360 support um i don't mean 360 deal i just mean support <laughs> um defected has quickly grown into being a machine now and it is that label services that titus was just talking about in terms of i am allowed to be the artist focus on my creativity but also have a team in which I can mould what that output looks like and know that that team is dedicated to that output and making sure they deliver it in the way that is aligned to Defected's goals, their, like, their targets, but also what Kitty Amore stands for and the message that I'm trying to deliver. So that's one thing I really enjoy about working with a major indie, um, which the Defected still is, it's an independent label and I am very hands-on with all kinds of people in the team from marketing to the sync team to the streaming services, um, even to the release hype, what that text looks like. I can be involved in that or I can decide to step away because I'm confident in those that are working there. So that is the plus side of being there. Uh, so are they helping you build your brand kind of a, a outside of just the records as well? Is it the live side of things and merch and things like that? Yeah, I mean, that is when you have that kind of vision already there, um, which luckily enough, Kitty Amore as a brand has already been established a long enough time for Defected to be like, okay, so how do we flourish that into merch or, or you know, other assets um, that are assigned to me? And I'll be able to do it with a budget that's not necessarily coming from my direct pocket which is the sad thing about artists when they do have that vision for themselves you've got to also get the gigs to ensure that you can then put your name on a t-shirt and then also give it out you can't give it out for free um, because you need that return on investment as well to then produce another five whereas now I can just say look Kitty Amore this is the branding this is what I want it to look like and they can achieve that for me amazing amazing um, can I say one thing I was also going to say that transparency is also super key um, because transparency builds trust. And I think with the platforms here that you can see your royalty statements um, whenever and and that's reported to you live and direct, whether it's the team or the artist can see it directly. And I think previously with major labels, you've seen that royalty statements come in 
don't know, every six months, it can be longer than that. And that creates an anxiety with the team and the artists. And I think transparency is super key in kind of the new models we see now. So just wanted to add that. Yeah, no, really, thank you. Uh, super important. So, so we've heard from a, a, an established uh, artist in the industry. Sarah, is TuneCore just for early stage artists? No, absolutely not. I mean, we've got, you know, it was funny, you know, you mentioned Ed Sheeran. Ed Sheeran actually started off on TuneCore. Um, and, you know, we've had people like uh, Nine Inch Nails. We still have the entire Forever Living Originals um, works. At, yeah. <laughs> to Lisa, good shout. Um, and one of my favorites is Moby has his play album, I think, on TuneCore still. Or yes, that, he, he certainly did. At one did. Point. Yes. He did at one point. Yeah, yeah was, absolutely. And, um, you know, so many so many people have either been through TuneCore or continue to use it because the point that, um, I can't remember if it was Kitty or Tyler that said, about having teams around you that you trust. If you've got the people that have got your back and you want to keep them, it's a great way of using a service, you know, just as a distribution service, keeping that team around you that you trust. And then you've got both elements that you've got complete control and transparency over. Excellent. So we've, so far on our journey, uh, we've looked at what happens after the point of creation, what to expect. Um, but of course, people always want more. So let's now look at career growth. Um, so back to Sarah, I think. Juncor is part of Believe Digital. It is. So yeah. are there opportunities for these self-released artists to do other things yeah i mean we work super closely with believe i mean we're, we're based out of believes offices um in the uk and most other territories um and we have a continual process of um going through looking at potential upstreams from TuneCore. um the a and the a at believe are looking at what's coming through TuneCore as well so it's very much a two-way conversation um you know, there've been some some great success or stories like Sev Delisa, um, of artists that have gone from one to the other, you know, and and it's a both way stream as well. So, you know, you're you're part of a of an infrastructure with um various different options in it. Uh, and knowing Andrea the CEO a little bit, I know that she wants to do as much as she she possibly can there. Absolutely. And I think you know, and I think that's the point that's worth making as well is, you know, I think a few years ago, people thought of self-releasing platforms as, you know, a bit of an option when you've you've tried everything else and, you know, okay, I'll, well, I'll self-release. Whereas now it's been, you know, it's been proven with so many artists that actually you can make it a long-term success for yourself um, by putting the right teams, the right knowledge around you, continual education, um, you know, good managers, all of that stuff. So, you know, it's not just a short-term option. Uh, absolutely. And so... Titus, I've heard Ghazi mention this many times, and of course I'm now going to just butcher his uh, his power, so hopefully he's not listening to this. But I've heard him talk about uh, Empire being quite good at taking an artist from, he's always car analogies with Ghazi, uh, 20 miles an hour to 100 miles an hour, like the company's really good at. Why do you think the company has a good reputation in that sort of lane? I think, I think primarily... Um... I don't want to shout out the staff. <laughs> no, shout them staff. out. But Come on. I think because Empire has been very much a startup company, um, I think the people that have been employed there um, have a very entrepreneurial frame of mind. And I think that entrepreneurship aligned with independent artists that are just looking to start their journey has created what Empire is today. It's probably one of the biggest independents in the US. And I think... 
that entrepreneurial spirit is key because it's not easy to build independent businesses. Um, you have to have a real conviction in yourself, in your team. And I think having the employees it has in different territories, especially initially when you're building into a new territory, having these entrepreneurial figures that maybe they've, they have an experience in management, they have experience on the label side, they have experience where, even doing events. And I think that um, diversity and experience is key to why Empire has been able to scale so fast in like the last four years or so. One of the things I do like that, that Garza does quite well is he has invested in other elements of the, the, the creative process as well. So he's uh, he established a, a large recording facility in San Francisco when I was there. Uh, and of course, it's given the company a great tool to uh, uh, to really take some of those artists way beyond where they would have otherwise got to on their own because he can just give that great facility to them. And, and, he, and to Garzi's credit, he's very transparent with the artists, you know. He's never tried to trap an artist. He's never tried to... If the artist thinks the grass is green on the other side, he'll let them go. And a lot of times they do actually come back um, because they're not used to being given that freedom and that independence. So the same freedom that they're allowed, that allows them to go elsewhere is the same freedom that creates that trust as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Kitty, um, why do you think uh, Defected is a is a good place to allow you to, to grow as an artist and, and as a business person? Because I, I, I seem to remember on the, on the prep call, there was uh, allusions to how you're working on some live events with them and some merch and things like that. Yeah, I mean, I know you've already touched on it a little bit, but... Um, the good thing about Defected is they allow me to get stuck in. Um, a lot of other labels that I know of, other businesses that I know of, sometimes they remove the artist and they speak on behalf of, of the artist with management that your manager might not even have that conversation with the artist to ensure that they're delivering the artist's actual vision. Uh, whereas Defected, I could actually go to the office and the marketing strategy that they're having for, I don't know, my label's event or a Kitty Amore documentary launch. Uh, that was a plug. Um, I, I, think, I think we should have more <laughs> plugs on this plan, panel, by the way. Uh, so please plug But away. they allow me to be part of those conversations. Um which I am there to just even listen. What is your marketing strategy that you have envisioned for me? And I can actually say, mm, actually, that's probably not aligned to where I saw this going. Or, brilliant, it's nice to know that you guys are championing me in that way. Um, whereas, yeah, like I said, a lot of other labels, it would be, oh, I only speak with the manager, allow the artist to be the artist. Whereas I'm always someone that you know, Kitty more started with me and I've only been involved in myself for how many years? So where I'm now with a label that's representing me, I don't ever want to lose the essence of myself whilst they're delivering what they need to deliver. Because at the end of the day, they need the numbers, they need the results to keep them going. But at the same time, if you're driving it in a way that is far removed from where I started, then I don't want to lose control of that. So the fact that they allow me to be around the table and having those conversations is pretty special actually uh, and i presume you've been learning as you've been going along oh, you've just, you just mentioned the numbers here we've got our cfo in the uh, in the building hello matt <laughs> uh so he knows all about numbers great with them. um so and what's that been like to sort of think probably maybe with a little bit more of a business head than perhaps you might have done before like how's that what's that experience been like um it feels like going to work I would say, because I feel like I'm in a lecture room. Like I'm there to keep quiet and listen and work out what these numbers actually mean. Um, 
And okay, this is my target that I need to work for. But at the same time, I'm learning from people that are doing it day in, day out. And yes, I can sit there and hear what they're talking about in a business sense. But then I also can go back, reference it with things like YouTube or reading the 15th version of that, or everything about the music business book. But at least it makes sense in real time because I was there to, to hear an actual business try and put that into fruition. So, I mean, this sounds like you've just described the kind of the future way with which music companies should be working with nice. with artists, right? I mean, if you if you guys understand it better, then you're not going to be mad at them if they are pulling back budgets or whatever, right? 100%. Yeah. 100%. And the sad thing is we've seen too many stories of someone saying, oh, yeah, I signed this dodgy contract and I was never involved or told what that means whereas a label to say no in part of your contracting process you can be here with us and I'm going to tell you what this deal looks like what this contract means what this publishing deal looks like I can then like say well if I sign it I only have myself to blame if it doesn't work out because so, I was there so yeah it's a good thing I think you've just really hit on what it is to be an independent artist as well is to you know is to have to understand all of those elements both for education, protection and success. I feel, I feel like we should just bottle all of what Kitty is and, uh, and put it up and just go, right, all other artists, be like this. Please don't. <laughs> make everything work better. Yeah, I'm totally nice. It's actually really good to hear because I work with independent artists as well and it's like the artists should actively want to recoup. The team should want to recoup their deals. It's like going to every bank and then leaving every bank in debt, you know, and it's like you're not going to get a loan at the by the third time or even the second time. So I think knowing your targets, obviously you want to be as creative as possible. You don't want to let the finances like muddy that. But if you, if you, if you, it's just a good business. And I think preaching good business for artists early on and for the teams is so key to having a long career where people want to actually be involved because they know you're responsible. Well, being responsible with money is a really important piece of yeah. it. And I guess if you've got a partner that is a record company, you've got to trust each other. Because right? it's really the artist's money at the end of the day. Yeah. Much, right? Yeah. Um, totally. Do Chunko do anything around advances? Do you kind of... No, we don't. don't do that? No. So, and it, you know, it makes it, it makes it quite a clean process um, because, you know, it is you know, essentially you are signing up to a subscription service because it is an unlimited, you know, you pay an amount of money for your uh, for your annual fee and you, you can release an unlimited amount of music within that. Um, and it's, you know, it's quite a straightforward transaction um, that's, you know, very, very easy for artists to understand. There's no uh, copyright being held or anything like that. So, yeah, very straightforward. How are we doing for time? Oh, okay. Uh... Because I've run out of questions, will I? Uh, listen, I, I, I've been ad-libbing for about 15 minutes. Um, our CFO, people. I'm just curious how you uh, advise independent artists to think about their teams, lawyers, managers, things like that. Who's, who's in the room with you when you're having that conversation, looking at numbers, et cetera? That's a good question. I was actually speaking to Charles here at Beatport about the difference with my journey is whilst being a DJ, I also made sure I was doing the networking side and being around the people that were on the business side of things, getting both wheels in motion at the same time. Whereas a lot of people just do one and do one in isolation and then wonder why 
the music that they thought, oh yeah, this is a hit, actually isn't a hit because you've not told a story. You're not people. You're not showing your people your story for them to join that journey on with you. Um, so I feel like it is important for the people to try and sit on both sides of the table at the same time. It is very possible. It does take a lot of time, but at the same time, it's your investment into your own business because that's what it is at the end of the day. Um, so yeah, I would totally advise in terms of networking whilst you are delivering the product. People got to buy into your story by actually being in direct contact with you. Amazing. Um, any other questions from the audience? Uh, so my question is for like all three of you. Uh, I wanted to ask, as businesses, how do you approach emerging markets where uh, maybe the business is not as streamlined as, say, in UK or US? Because I come from India, and I wanted to, because recently I also did my research on the independent scene in India. And I wanted to know, as businesses, how do you approach these markets? Um, so I'll pick that one up first from TuneCore's perspective. So about Two, three years ago, um, there was a big drive to uh, to expand the international territories that we were in. So we're now in, we've got heads of territory in about 13 different territories, including India. Um, and actually, given the model of what we do, um, emerging markets are absolutely vital for us because there are so many people there that haven't had access to what we see as more kind of traditional deals. So um, self-releasing platforms are absolutely booming there. So, you know, our key areas for expansion are um, Southeast Asia and LATAM because there is, there's just so much possibility in those markets. So we have a, an amazing person that runs our, uh, Indian office, Hina. And, you know, to, to have someone there that's, that's looking at India, you know, essentially 14 different markets in one. Um, and you know, it's, it's brilliant to see what's coming out of there and the opportunities that it's giving people, you know, away from, those traditional deals that, you know, that weren't great for artists. And, you know, now there are new possibilities. Yeah, I think it's the key thing is, is there's obviously a knowledge gap sometimes when you go into new markets. And it's about educating the people and the teams and the artists. Like we've obviously had a lot of success in West Africa and now we're moving into South Africa. But because of in South Africa, a lot of the artists make a lot of their money from being DJs and live. They've got managers that are more booking agents rather than experience at dealing with labels and what and whatnot so i think it, it obviously it takes time but i think if there are people going over and people trying to educate um the artists and the teams and the lawyers um it eventually catches up but it does take a while um from an artist perspective i guess for me it was being a, i i deliver afro house uh which is mainly from south africa i have been playing the music for a very long time now I'm going to say a few years for the sake of this conversation <laughs> but in order for me to do that in its true form I had to be there I had to understand it I had to um, really get in the culture to understand well, what is the buzz why do I feel this way about it and how can I actually allow people to believe in it in the same way as me even if they can't get there so for me being there on the ground doing my research and getting stuck in that was before any booking came um, I actually used my own money to be there spend my time there and build the relationships with those that are making the music and when I actually saw how this was part of everyday life in terms of in the taxis in the shop 
um, in the corner of the street, people, kids and playing it. And that's when I was like, okay, I understand it in its whole form. And I can now continue to take people on that journey overseas to then kind of close that bridge between South Africa and London through myself. Um, and yeah, I've been doing that in many other places since. And just to add to that, I think culture breeds, um, like culture will culture itself helps these markets mature because sometimes the world's not ready for a certain genre to rise up. For example, my business partner was doing Afro house raves in Europe like seven years ago, but he could never sell more than a thousand tickets, never ever. And it just takes time for these cultures to come through to get their time in the limelight. Obviously now with the last couple of years I'm a piano and stuff, you see SA getting a ton of attention. But there was they were gone music or whatever there was before, it wasn't really ready to take the limelight, just based on the culture around it and and people's ears. So I always think like production trends will open up markets quicker than anything else. No business is gonna come in and suddenly open up a market, in my opinion. They come on after the culture breeds that success. Yeah, very good. Actually, you reminded me of a project that, that we worked on at Empire together where we went into uh Indonesia and uh built a relationship with uh, one of the biggest stars out there and uh, the mainstay of music out there was let's just call it very vanilla ballad love songs breakup songs it's kind of how it went right every song like that and uh, and this artist you know he was a big artist he would fill a stadium on his own but he was also of means and could travel and could see the rest of the world and wanted to know where, whether he could actually convert himself as an artist into some of these other markets like the US and the UK. And so what we did with Empire was we flew him over to uh, San Francisco, put him in that studio that we mentioned earlier and put him with a bunch of producers that have created hits for uh, Chris Brown and Rihanna, which, and it was an experience he'd never had before. I was with him on the first day in the studio and normally he's got kind of like a team of writers and they write the thing and he performs it. They, these guys were like, what do you want to do? And he's like, I don't know. <laughs> and so this went on for a little while. And then they sort of said, oh, what about this? Like, do you like that beat? And it just sort of teased it out of him. And honestly, the album that we made with him, I think is still one of his best. Uh, it was, and it was a really, really good experience. And now he's back doing another one, I think, with Empire, isn't he? He's doing an EP. Very good. Anyone else? Hi. Yeah. Um, I think we could all agree that the landscape has changed quite dramatically over the last few years. And... Um, you could maybe say like there's a little point like pre-2015 posts and um, I don't know if much has been said about on, on a general level how the demands for releasing artists have changed and maybe from the panel um, maybe highlighting what those key aspects are and what maybe the most important ones are now compared to what was before. Um, I mean, one of the things that we've seen in terms of demands on artists is just the sheer volume that you're expected to create now. Um, you know, it's it's one of the things we reacted to the market with social platforms, which I was saying about earlier, which is a way of artists getting their music out and testing it. Um, I think just that, you know, be it rightly or wrongly, that kind of being constantly on, constantly creating, getting as much content out there out there as possible. Um, that you know that's a huge change 
you know, it's, I've worked in the industry for nearly 20 years and, you know, going from one album every two, three years with a couple of singles and an EP to, to now just constantly getting tracks out there, constantly testing things. Um, it's, it's a huge demand on an artist and for some people it comes naturally and for others it doesn't, you know, and you also, you need to listen to yourself as well. You know, if you're not that kind of artist, don't try and make yourself fit, try and find another way of working. Um, but I'd say that's probably the biggest change that I've seen. Um, yeah, I agree. There's a dynamic between being a content creator or a music creator that's very hard to like straddle at the moment. Um, but I just think you have to, and every, people are probably tired of this word, everyone, you have to try and be authentic to yourself, you know? Um, but I, and I also think that music is also cyclical. The way we consume trends changes all the time so i think you'll see an opposite reaction to this need for constant content by people being a lot more strategic with how they roll out and those those people becoming a lot more in the limelight just based of how they're not following the trends of just push out content 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 so yeah i totally agree in terms of the volume of content um and those two words that we all hate social media um as an artist you always hear oh but how would it blow up on social media tiktok has changed the game for artists in terms of them wanting to make things go viral in order for that to transcend and make sense for their return on investment but i just think just like these both both have said is ensuring that you stay true to yourself i'm quite fortunate now where i've kind of worked out a way of ensuring that yeah kitty is delivering content through music but at the same time when i'm in my creative space creating i ensure kitty the dj is staying relevant so that when kitty actually release something people don't feel like oh she's been doing nothing for this long um because i've been staying active as a dj and little do they know i've been testing out my own stuff with them being present and then now that they actually can then hear it it's like oh the two's actually making sense um i understand not every artist is fortunate enough to have that um ability and i guess when you are a singer songwriter it might be even harder but I guess it's how do you continue to pivot yourself in ways where people are still part of your creation and your creative process so even if it is oh I can't deliver an album every six months at least you see me either I don't know doing a acapella of me singing on uh, stories or you know you see me in a room with this person there is other ways you can keep people engaged into your actual product. Think, and I think it goes back to managing expectations is key again. So that because there's a lot of responsibility shifting from the label saying the artist not posting enough and the artist saying the labels should make it viral, not me. And so you get this back and forth, which is just kind of gets insane. So I think, yeah, again, it goes back from manage expectations, knowing the artist you're signing, the artist knowing the label they're going to and how much they're going to be prompted by the label to post, post, post and how much they're not. So setting in those expectations before you sign a deal is, is probably key as well now. It's funny, I was having almost exactly this conversation with Mark Mulligan from Media Research today, uh, and he was saying, is there a gap for uh, record companies during the signing process to actually not look at how many likes and streams and whatever that they've had? Uh, because that's what we used to do. We used to just invest in an artist that had talent. That's kind of how it worked. 
Yeah, it's going to sound cringe, but you're, yeah, you're, you're investing in the person, not just the artist as well. So you need to know who you're signing. So maybe there should be a process where you're literally really un going and understanding who that person is and their life goals and who they are, because that's going to dictate how much they can post or want to post based on their personality. So, yeah. Uh, well, I certainly like that human uh, element to it. Um, all right. Well, I think that was excellent. Round of applause for the fantastic panelists. Drinks in the fridge. Enjoy. Beatport presents. Beatport presents. Beatport presents. Beatport presents. Decoding the music industry.